Well, I want to welcome you to Central Presbyterian Church this morning, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I pray that you experience here at Central today, and want to invite you to come back and visit us again soon. This Easter morning, we're going to stand alongside Mary Magdalene in Matthew chapter 28 and see the account of the resurrection through Mary's eyes. We're going to walk alongside her this morning and find a Jesus who is very much alive. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us see this same Jesus. Oh Lord, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit and open the eyes of our hearts that we might behold the risen Lord here in your word. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the living and abiding word of God. Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Let me ask you a question as we try to understand this account of the resurrection and what it means for us today. Have you ever been completely stunned by things that turn out so badly so fast? And it feels like your world has completely changed, just like that. Has that ever happened to you? It may be that this account of Easter, the story of Jesus being raised from the dead, feels remote. It's just, it's hard to access, it's hard to grasp. How did that really happen? It, that's hard to get, but that feeling of everything going great and then all of a sudden it all falls apart, you can get that. That feeling is what brought Mary to the tomb that Sunday morning. Everything had been going wonderfully and then all of a sudden it fell apart. That's what we find with Mary Magdalene in verse 1 of Matthew 28. Mary was a super common name in the first century and you, you could be forgiven for getting confused as to which Mary this was. We first met her in Luke chapter 8 where she had been healed by Jesus. She uh, was a woman who had seven demons. These were beings of, of darkness and severe disturbance. And they were bearing down on her and Jesus delivered her from them. 
She was also a woman who had been living a notoriously sinful life and Jesus forgave her and he was kind to her and invited her into this community that was following him and she began to serve him in this community. And she was with Jesus with all these other folks who traveled with him into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. She also saw him crucified with that same community, hung on a cross as a criminal. Now for Romans, only the worst criminals were crucified, those who were guilty of treason. It was a brutal torture. It was a, it was a device that the Romans used to keep other people who were thinking about rebelling against Rome, that they wouldn't think about it for very long because it was so brutal. But for Jews like Mary and like Jesus, to be crucified meant to be cursed by God. It meant that they were directly under the judgment of God himself. And that was hard because this Jesus was someone who had taught Mary so much. He he had claimed to be the son of God. Mary had seen him perform miracles herself and now he was cursed. He he was damned by God. And Mary was wondering, how, how could this be? Because things were going so great just a few days before. I mean, he had ridden into Jerusalem just uh, less than a week before on, on a donkey, and he was greeted like a celebrity. I mean, people were throwing their cloaks on the ground. Things were wonderful, and now all of a sudden, things were falling apart. I wonder how alone she felt on that Friday afternoon. Things had been going so great, and now all of a sudden, they completely fallen apart. We know that feeling, don't we? Maybe you've been hurt by someone or some circumstances in your life and maybe you've by now begun giving up hope that anything's ever going to be different. Your world's broken, maybe circumstances in your life are broken, the the world's messed up, your life's messed up and it feels like it's only getting worse and you've begun to think nothing's ever going to change. I have no hope, no expectation that my tomorrow is going to be any different than my yesterday. But there's a simple point in this text today that God's word says that because Mary found an empty tomb, nothing is ever going to be the same. Jesus was physically raised from the dead and a renewal of creation has begun. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, friends, your tomorrow doesn't have to be like your yesterday. It can be different. Your tomorrow does not have to be like your yesterday. God took on flesh He became one of us. He lived a perfectly righteous life and was crucified. He was cursed. He was judged because of our sins. He was raised from the dead in victory over all of our sin, victory over evil, victory over death itself. And because of that, your life and mine do not ever have to be the same. Your tomorrow, your eternity does not have to be consumed by the pain and the guilt and the shame of your yesterday. What I want to show you this morning is just two, briefly, there are two ways that this empty tomb mattered to Mary and it can change your life today. First one is this, the resurrection quiets our fears and our shame. The resurrection quiets our fears and our shame. These Roman guards saw this angel come and in verse four, it says that they trembled in fear. The word literally is they quaked. When the angel came down, there was an earthquake on the ground and the picture is 
these same guards were having an earthquake in their, in their hearts, in their souls. There was quaking everywhere, and they just froze in fear. So much for these powerful, mighty, authoritarian Roman soldiers. They didn't know what to do. This angel came, and then these, these women come up, and the, the scene is that there's panic all around. And the angel says to these two women, don't be afraid. It's like he sets the, the, the guards next to the women. He says to the, to the guards, you guys are supposed to be afraid. You guys who think that you're running this place, you guys who think you have all the power, you guys who think you're in control, you guys are supposed to be afraid, but you women, you people who are overlooked, people think you're nobodies, people who think that you have, you have no business being here, don't be afraid. You people who nobody count for anything, you stand up. You stand up. You who are coming to seek this Jesus, you were crucified, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're here. You guys, sit down. Now, no matter who you are, coming here this morning, if you've come to seek the Christ who was crucified, if you know that you need what this Jesus has done for you on the cross, the message for you is there's no reason to be afraid. There is no need to be afraid. If you've come like the soldiers, if you've come thinking, I'm in control of my life, I've got all the power that I need, then you probably might need to begin to quake a little bit because you don't have what it takes to run your own life. But if you've come like these women and maybe your hopes have been dashed, maybe you're trapped in despair, maybe there's some darkness in your life, maybe there's some sin, and what the Bible means by sin is disobedience to God's commands. Maybe some of them have a grip on your life and you can't shake it. And you know, like I do, that I can't ever meet the expectations of a holy God. I just don't have it in me. There's so, there's so much wrong in my life. Maybe you recognize that in your own life. If that's you, then come to him. Come to this crucified Jesus because that's exactly why he was crucified in condemnation for sinners like me and like you. That's why he was crucified, for we who deserve judgment. You see, the Jews were right. Jesus was cursed. To be crucified was to be under God's curse, but not because he deserved it. He didn't deserve being con condemned. He didn't deserve judgment. He lived a perfectly righteous life. But he was cursed because we deserve it. He was cursed because we deserve judgment, every one of us. And yet he was raised from the dead in victory over all of it. His sacrificial death is sufficient for your sin and mine, your evil and mine. Jesus was condemned so that you and I could be set free of all of our sin, all of our evil, all of our guilt, all the corrupting power of our, of our sin. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what grip and power sin has had on your life, because Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, the power of sin, the grip of sin, and the fear of it has been broken in your life and in mine. Jesus says, come, because he's broken the back of all of that fear. On Wednesday afternoon of this past week, 
There's several of us here who had an opportunity to hold an Easter concert and service down the street at the St. Louis County Jail. If you've, been, if you've hung around Central a little bit, you know that we send volunteers into the jail every week to, to minister to the residents in the jail. And if you're here and you want to help, we'd love to have you. Just tell somebody at one of the welcome tables here this morning, we'd love to get you signed up and help. We go in there every single week. And this was an Easter service and it was a, a, joint, a joint effort with our sister church, Friendly Temple Missionary Baptist, a primarily African-American church in the city, pastored by my friend, Bishop Mike Jones. And uh, Randy Mayfield, our former missions pastor, uh, led some of the music. And when the time for the sermon came, uh, Mike began by saying that he and I had come to the jail like Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney, like <laughs> Ebony and Ivory. And we were there for beautiful gospel harmony. Now, Mike could get away with it. I don't think I could. So I'm glad he, glad he said it. So Mike presented the Good Friday part of the story. And I told the Resurrection Sunday part of it. And together, we invited men to come down front for, uh, for prayer. And uh, all in, 30 guys, maybe 40 guys came down to pray. And they asked for prayer for the things you would probably expect guys in jail to ask for prayer about. Some of them wanted us to pray about their upcoming court dates. Some of, us, some of them wanted us to pray about their families who were on the outside, things they were worried about, their kids. Some of them wanted us to pray with them because they wanted to recommit their lives to Jesus because they'd wandered away from him. There were two guys that I had the, the privilege of speaking to who committed their lives to Jesus for the first time ever. They asked Jesus to save them. I want to tell you the story about one of them. I'm going to, use, I'm going to call him John. That was not his, his real name, but John came to me and he said this. He said, look, man, I'm, I'm basically fighting for my life here. Um, I've done some really, really bad things. And... Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know that I'm going to make it. And uh, I'm fighting for my life and I, I don't know where to turn. I just don't, I just don't know that I'm going to, going to make it. And so I said, John, have you ever trusted Jesus for your salvation? And, and he said, no. And I asked, well, would you like to? And John kind of cocked his head to the side and he said, that's why I came down here in front of all these prisoners to talk to you. <laughs> And I laughed, all right, that makes sense. That's quite a risk, thanks for doing that. And so we prayed. And uh, I said, John, um, confess. Is it time for you to confess your sins to Jesus? Let's be honest about him. And so he starts confessing his sin, naming what he's done, not hiding it, not pretending. Confessing his sin, pouring out his heart. And I said, all right, now John, ask Jesus if he will forgive you and save you. So he asked Jesus to forgive him and save him. He said, John, to tell Jesus you want to live for him. So he tells Jesus, I want to live for you. And something happened. What the Bible says is heaven rejoiced. There was, there was an angel party happening because of what was happening in the jail, in the county jail, seventh floor of the St. Louis County Jail. And I'm not sure if I was supposed to do this or not. I, I, don't, I don't know that I'm supposed to touch the, the residents of the jail, but I wanted to. So I reached out and I put one hand on each of John's shoulders. I, I wanted him to feel the touch of somebody who um, was his brother, 
and was going to spend eternity with him. I wanted to just feel and embrace. And so I put my hands on his shoulders and looked him in the eye and I said, John, I want you to know that you're a child of God. What just happened is, is that you're now a child of the king. That means you're a prince of heaven. You're a resident in, in a county jail, but you're a prince of heaven. And God says he loves you and he forgives you. He's made you his child. And what I want you really to know, John, I looked him in the eye and I said, you told me that you're fighting for your life in here. And what I want you to know is what God would say to you is never again, as long as you live, will you ever fight for your life by yourself. Never again are you all alone to fight for your life. Not one day for the rest of your life, not one day for the rest of eternity will you ever be alone again. And John, the tears just started falling down John's face. In, in a room full of prisoners, tears just coming down his face and tears started coming down my face too. Because John didn't have to be afraid anymore. He didn't have anything to fear. He didn't have to be afraid of not making it anymore because God was there with him. God, the God who made him, the God who saved him was there with him, was, was going back in his cell with him. God was there with him. And he, he looked at me like there was just, there was a change in his eyes. He, he looked at me like I had told him the best news that anyone had ever told him in his whole life, which of course I had just told him the best news anyone could have ever told him. And I, th I think we forget sometimes in all of our churchiness, we can forget just how good the good news really is. Like Mary, you, you who seek the one who's crucified, you don't have to be afraid anymore because the tomb was empty. God fights for you. He doesn't fight against you. No more. God fights for you. Whatever it is that you face, God of heaven comes down to fight for you. That's good news, friends. I don't care what's going on in your life. That's good news. That's worth celebrating about. That's worth crying about. In front of a room full of prisoners. In front of a room full of people dressed up in their Easter finest. That's worth celebrating. Maybe you've walked with that Jesus and you've kind of walked away. Maybe you've been walking with him and you've kind of walked away from him and maybe you feel a little bit of shame to him. Maybe you just... God, I just don't go to church anymore. It's got not, not much at all. Look at verse 10. When Jesus said to Mary, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Don't forget these brothers that Jesus is talking about are the 11 who had scattered after his crucifixion. The last time Jesus saw these guys was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then when he was arrested and they began to, the, the Romans began to beat him, all 11 of these guys scattered. They ran away. They abandoned him. They cowered in fear, every one of them. Peter denied he knew, even knew who Jesus was by, in front of somebody who didn't matter. All 11 of them ran away from him. In my Baptist background, we would say they all were backslidden, every one of them. 
But Jesus, instead of harshly condemning them, instead of calling them out, instead of canceling them, Jesus called them my brothers. Jesus sent Mary to go, go find those guys. Go find those guys who ran away and tell my brothers that I'll see them in Galilee. Listen, no matter where you've wandered off to, Jesus forgives. Jesus restores. No matter what sins consumed your yesterday, because of the cross and the resurrection, they do not have to define your tomorrow. Because Jesus does. The resurrection quiets our fears and our shame. Whether you're a prisoner, whether you are confused, whether you are a wanderer, Jesus would say, come home. My brothers, come home, come meet me. Second and quickly, the resurrection can transform our grief to glory. The truth is, the world in which we live is filled with tragedy. It's filled up with incredibly deep evil. But listen to me, as Christians, we are an Easter people living in a Good Friday world. We're an Easter people living in a Good Friday world. What I mean by that is we are a people of hope living in a world of tragedy. We are a people marked by the king's victory snatched from the jaws of what seems like evil's defeat all the time. What Mary and the disciples feared the most was the shame of the cross it provided the very thing that saved their lives. It, it's upside down. There was victory that was snatched out of the jaws of defeat. Mary had seen the worst thing possible. Jesus was crucified. The man who had freed her from her promiscuous life, who'd loved her with integrity when everybody else just wanted to use her body, who'd forgiven her and, and gave her a community in which she could thrive and belong. He, he was now crucified as a criminal. He was a blasphemer. He was cursed. The one who claimed to be the Messiah, the son of David, the son of God, he was dead. And it looked like evil had won. It seemed to him that Satan won the battle. The tempter used Judas to betray Jesus and it seemed like that little movement of God got stamped out on Friday. It seemed like evil finally triumphed. Maybe it seems like that in your life too. You feel like things are coming apart at the seams. My life's torn apart. My life's in tatters. It feels like evil is having a field day in my life on Friday. But on Sunday, verse 6, when Mary showed up at the tomb, the angel said he's not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come to the place where he lay and then go tell his disciples. Not only that, but verse 9, Jesus met them. Jesus was alive. She saw him. She grabbed hold of his feet and worshipped him. Jesus was physically alive. His heart had began to beat and he was walking. His legs could move. His lungs filled with breath. He wasn't just an idea. It wasn't just a wish in her mind. Jesus wasn't some sort of ghost. The real Jesus came out of the tomb. He had been dead and now he was alive and he's still alive today. That deep grief of Mary 
Seeing Jesus laid in a tomb was transformed into a hope of glory because she saw that death isn't the end. Evil does not triumph. Friends, it changes everything. Changes everything about our lives because if Jesus died in condemnation and in judgment on the cross for all of our sin, then his resurrection promises life and it promises hope in the place of our own death. It promises a life that can transcend our own death. It promises a hope that can outlast evil in our own lives. And everybody who trusts in Jesus can be raised to spiritual new life in this world and be given an everlasting fullness of life in the world to come. And with that kind of hope, you will never be the same again. These two women came to a tomb in despair, maybe even hopeless. But they found an empty tomb, seeing that Jesus is alive, and that death isn't the end. And their grief was transformed to glory. It was what was proved to her is that because he lives, so shall we. So shall you forever. That kind of glory can transform your grief in your life today. We are an Easter people, a people of life, a people of hope, living in a Good Friday world of tragedy. Missy, has, my wife Missy has a dear Uncle Bob and Aunt Nancy, and they're, they're just wonderful people. I talked to them on the phone this week because I wanted, I wanted to ask them if I could tell just a little bit of their story to you this morning. Because what they have is a testimony of Jesus carrying them. Jesus had to carry them through an unimaginable loss of the life of their son, Ben. And they have a testimony, a, a ministry that's been shared in their church, in their Sunday school class, in their community in Atlanta. They've, they've been used in sharing their story with other parents who walked through the same tragedy in their circles in Atlanta and with other people because they've, they've experienced their grief through time that's been transformed by resurrection glory. Ben had given his life to Jesus as a young boy. He was, he was a great kid. He was a sensitive kid. He was an artist. He was a killer guitar player. And uh, he was in a band, and uh, a really good band, a band that had made some records. And by this time, he was a young adult, and there was a knock on Bob and Nancy's door that no parent ever wants to get. It was the middle of the night, and a solemn police officer came to their door to tell them that their dear son had been tragically killed in a car accident. That um, somebody else had been driving on the wrong side of the highway in the middle of the night with their headlights off. And Ben was killed instantly. It's hard to imagine worse news to get as a parent. And maybe a little like Mary, this, that completely wrecked their family, wrecked our family. Because he was such an awesome kid. Everything was going so well. And then it all changed. 
just an un, unspeakable grief. What do you do with that? Where do you go? How do you make sense of something like that? I mean, that was a real grief. It's, it's been a long, hard, years-fought grief. Maybe some of you have been through something similar. Talked to Bob and Nancy on the phone about this this week and, and just was struck with this Easter hope in their voices. And for them, the worst thing, the absolutely terrible, the awful, the worst thing of losing their son, losing Ben, that worst thing for Bob and Nancy was for Ben. He was immediately taken into the presence of Jesus. For, for Bob and Nancy, the, that in, incredible, horrible grief for Ben was, was glory. He was taken into, into the presence of his Savior. And for Bob and Nancy, what they said, what that did in their lives, that horrible experience for them because Mary found an empty tomb because death isn't the end, because death doesn't win, because death has been defeated by an empty tomb. What it did for Bob and Nancy was it enabled them to have hope for their son. Ben's life isn't over because the tomb is empty. All of us have faced the loss of someone we love. And because the tomb is empty, Death isn't the end. And just to keep going with that, the Easter hope, the hope of, of a Jesus who was raised from the dead and has promised to return and make a new heavens and a new earth who's promised to wipe away every corruption, every taint of sin and death and evil, who's promised to raise us from the dead, give us new bodies that are incorruptible. What that promises is one day, Ben is going to be raised from the dead and given a new body. And Bob and Nancy will be given new bodies. And this father and mother in their new bodies will be able to hug their son who has a new body in the presence of Jesus forever? All because Mary found an empty tomb on Easter Sunday. That kind of hope, that kind of hope will keep you going. That's an Easter hope that will keep you alive in a Good Friday world. That's the kind of hope that will keep you going in this world. A new life of hope that will keep you going until the day comes when the Lord makes everything new. And it's sure and it's certain because Jesus walked out of that grave alive. And he's coming back for you. Who are you more like today? Are you more like Mary? Just confused at the whole thing. Lord, help me. <laughs> Maybe you're more like John, just trapped. Lord, I, I don't know that I'm going to make it. You got to do something. Or maybe you're like Bob and Nancy, grieving. You got to help me take one day at a time, one step. Lord, you got to meet me with hope right here today. 
No matter where you are, Jesus will meet you there and give you a living hope. He was raised from the dead to promise it. Trust him. Let's pray. Jesus, everybody in this room needs a living hope today. And we pray that you would be that for us. There are people here maybe who've never confessed that they are a sinner and they need you as their savior. So today, may today be the first day of the rest of their eternity. Save them today. There are some people in here whose hearts have grown cold toward you. Would you revive us today? Make our hearts beat with that living hope. Help us burn with passion for you because of all that you've done for us. Lord, every one of us need to be revived. Keep us alive with this living hope. Make us, make us an Easter hope-filled people in a world that's filled up and broken down with Good Friday tragedies. Make us that kind of church, Lord. Help us, help us to be a people who keep pointing toward a risen Savior who makes all things new. Jesus, we desperately need you. And we're thankful that you've not left us alone. You've not left us to fight for our, fight for our lives on our own. But you've stepped into this world. You've stepped into this world to fight our sin for us. And you've declared victory. And so today, Lord, today we take our stand in union with you because you've given us life. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.